0: Well, we're in a series, if you were with us last week, you would have known, on Christian basics. And last week, Will brought us the importance of reading the Bible as God's Word and obeying God's Word. Well, tonight, we're the title of what Will has set us is Talking to God, or in other words, Speaking to God which is a pretty big topic. Hundreds of books have been written about it, so I can't possibly do justice to the whole topic in uh, 20 minutes or so. But what I am going to try and do is talk for a little bit about uh, speaking to God in general, and then we will move on to the passage that we had read to us on page 1180. But we'll come to that in a minute. Okay. 18-year-old Hudson Taylor wandered into his father's library and picked up a gospel tract and read it. Now, a gospel tract, if you're not aware of what it is, is a short booklet that basically explains what Jesus did, how he died on the cross and how he rose again and how through faith we can have eternity with him. And so Hudson Taylor picked up this gospel tract as an 18-year-old. He couldn't, he read it, he couldn't shake off its message. Finally, falling to his knees, he accepted Christ as his saviour. Later, his mother, who had been away, returned home. When Hudson told her the good news, she said, I already know. Ten days ago, the very date on which you tell me you read the tract... I spent the entire afternoon in prayer for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son had been brought back into the fold. Hands up, whose people here, whose mother has prayed for them. The power of talking to God. Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, so they went to hear the famed C.H. Spurgeon preach. While waiting for the doors to open, because they got there early, a bit unusual for students, uh, the students were greeted by a man who asked, ''Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church?'' Well, they were not particularly interested in the heating plant of the church because it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened and their guide whispered to them, this is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. The power of prayer. The power of prayer. Well, as I said, I'm going to speak a little bit about talking to God first before we turn to our passage. Well, I would like to remind you of the excitement of a parent as their child learns to speak by imitation and listening. And I'm sure Mike would agree with that. It's recently, uh, of course it's happened since time began, but it's still an exciting time for that family. The child develops as more time is given to them by adults and peers alike and they expand their vocabulary. Well, do we understand what talking to God is? And do we help each other in the development of this? And why do we find it so difficult? And why is it that so few people attend prayer meetings in England today? There are some basic questions for us. Well, many people, of course, uh, speak to God in a variety of ways and situations. Many people pray who are worshippers of many gods. According to the Church uh, Church of England survey not so long ago on prayer, only of 1,000 people, only 14% said they would never pray and 5% said they would not know what to pray. The Bishop of St. Albans said, I am not surprised at this because one of the most natural and instinctive of human responses is to talk to God. Well, prayer, of course... It's simply having a conversation with God. It's asking him to meet our needs or someone else's needs. It's praising him and thanking him. It's about committing things to him and consecrating things to him. William Barclay said, As we talk to God, it's good to remember that the love of God that wants the best for us the wisdom of God that knows what is best for us, and the power of God that accomplishes it. So prayer is an exciting thing. And I think some people don't pray much because they don't understand how powerful prayer really is. The truth is, it's one of the greatest privileges we have if we're Christians. And Christians believe that when we pray, we open the door for God to come into our lives into our problems and situations and work on them. It's what some people call bringing heaven down to earth because prayer makes us partners with God. And while we can't really change people and make them love God, he can minister to their hearts and reach them through our prayers. And I would also like to suggest to you tonight that prayer is easier than we often think it is. And it can become so much a part of our life that we don't even realise how much we're praying. Rather like breathing. But how do we know what Christian prayer should actually look like? Well, as Will said last week, the Bible should be our guidebook to our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. Which I'm going to hope to demonstrate to you uh, this evening. The first mention of prayer is found actually in Genesis 4, verse 26, which says this, And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So this uh, tells us that people have been praying for several thousands of years. But of course, it doesn't answer my question. Why should I pray? In particular, or why should any of us pray? Well, I think there are two reasons. Firstly, prayer develops our relationship with God. If we never speak to our spouse, our wives, or husbands, or our children, or never listen to anything they might have to say, our marriages, our family relationships will quickly deteriorate. And it's the same with God. Prayer, communicating with God, helps us grow closer and more intimately connected with God. Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 9, says this, I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure, just as gold and silver are refined and purified by fire. They will call on my name and I will answer them, and I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is is our God. And Jesus says in John 15, But if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like, and it will be granted. And so the first reason then why we should pray, because it develops our relationship with God. But secondly, the Lord Jesus himself instructs us to pray. One of the simplest reasons to spend time in prayer is because the Lord taught us to pray. And obedience of God is a natural byproduct of discipleship. Think of the Lord's prayer as an example that we say quite often. Jesus says this in Matthew 26, Keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. And then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, Luke 18, verse 1. But he might say to me, well, Nigel, I just don't know what to pray for and I find prayer very difficult, especially in times of difficulty. Well, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will help us in prayer when we don't know how to pray. Romans 8, Paul writes this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So if we are finding it difficult to pray, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. What an encouragement to each one of us, I think, because as we go through times of difficulty. But what about practicalities? What about practicalities? How do we actually pray? Does God actually require us to pray in a particular posture? Well, many of you will have seen pictures that look something like this, where you get large-scale prayer uh, taking place, corporate prayer. So the Bible says that there's no correct or certain posture for prayer. Because we read in the Bible that people prayed on their knees, 1 Kings, they prayed bowing, Exodus 4, they prayed on their faces before God in 2 Chronicles and Matthew 26, they prayed standing up. And the Bible, I believe, gives us the liberty to pray in any posture. We can pray with our eyes open, we can pray with our eyes closed. We can pray quietly or out loud. Whatever is most comfortable and least distracting. And our prayers don't need to be wordy or impressive in speech. In fact, Jesus instructs his followers not to use many repetitive words. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. We can use simple words. We don't even have to use words at all because the thoughts of our minds can be prayer. But if we are spending time in praying, we will want them to be successful. So what does the Bible actually say to us on this? Well, the Bible establishes a few requirements for successful prayer. A few things that we should perhaps consider when we're thinking about the topic. Firstly, we need to come to God with a humble heart. 2 Chronicles 7 says this, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And it's no good praying if we're not actually wholehearted about it. Jeremiah 29 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And of course, it's not very good if we pray doubting. Because Jesus tells us to pray in faith. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus said, whenever you ask for anything in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And we need to pray in obedience. 1 John says this, And we will receive whatever we request because we obey him and do the things that please him. Of course, this begs the question, doesn't it? Um, What many people ask, does God actually hear our prayers and answer them? Well, the Bible, again, comes up with some examples to help us with this. Psalm 34 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. And Jesus, again, in Luke 11, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. For everyone who asks, receives. Of course. We know, don't we, that uh, sometimes it appears our prayers are not answered. So why can this be then? Well, the Bible gives many reasons or causes for failures in prayer. whole list of them here I've got. Disobedience, secret sin, self-indulgence, neglect of mercy, iniquity, stubbornness, doubt, But all of these, of course, can be remedied by confession and repentance. And we also need to remember, of course, that sometimes our prayers are refused because they must be in accord with God's divine will. So how then should I pray? Should I pray alone or should I pray with others? By myself or in a combination of both? Well, God wants us to pray together with unbelievers. We see that particularly in the New Testament. Matthew 18 again. It says, Jesus says, Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And in Acts 1 with the new young church, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And this, of course, is why churches down throughout the ages have encouraged their congregations to meet together in prayer meetings, which means that if the congregation doesn't do this on a regular basis, perhaps it's going against the biblical teaching of God. But God also wants us to pray alone and in secret, A person uh, many years ago said this to me. Nigel, they said, if you have a problem praying alone, imagine that Jesus is sitting on a chair in front of you and quietly speaking to you. Jesus said this to his disciples, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, Matthew 6, verse 6. And of course, Jesus is our perfect example for us to follow in our earthly lives. And we read several times in the New Testament, in Mark 1, we read that Jesus got up very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so we have the example of Jesus when we need encouragement to pray by ourselves, even if that involves us having to get up when it's dark and when there's no distraction. But let's turn to our passage tonight to see what Paul has to say to this church in Philippians. So we're in Philippians 4, verses 1 to 7. Well, Paul is writing to the Christians at this young church, isn't he, in Philippi? And he's writing to encourage them. He's writing in thanksgiving for them. But also to instruct them on how to continue and progress in their discipleship. And so we read in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 that they are to continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And this is the background to chapter 4. Within that church at Philippi, as within churches down throughout the ages, there has been division and disharmony between members. In these first seven verses, Paul begs these two ladies to sort out their differences so that they can be united in Christ. There is no room for division within the family of God. With this, goes the command to rejoice in the Lord. Why? because he is always near you. And it's within this context of the nearness of the Lord that Paul tells them that there is no cause for worry or anxiety. No cause at all. They are to be united, they are to live together, and they are to live lives of calmness without anxiety. But how can this be achieved? Well, Paul says by prayer by talking to God. But how is this to be? What is their prayer life going to look like? Well, Paul doesn't go into any great detail here at all concerning their individual prayer lives. Because all of their individual lives will be different. So Paul uses inclusive language. Language that allows for all situations... They are in their prayers always to be thankful to God for his good gifts and for who he is. And so we see here that Paul is creating a positive position or statement. Their prayers are to be positive because they are to be thankful to a God who is all-powerful, holy and omnipotent. Now, being thankful for the gifts that are given by God creates the correct perspective upon life because it's very difficult to moan and groan about things when one is being thankful. And, of course, we see this in Paul's life as well and his witness in his letters. Paul writes this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Philippians 1 verses 3 to 4. But they're not only to be thankful, they are to present their requests in everything to God. Now note here, Paul is not limiting this at all. It's not just requests for physical needs, hunger or illness or whatever, or not just for spiritual needs or safety or security. No, they can make all their requests to God. Now isn't that a wonderful statement? A liberating statement and an inclusive statement. A statement that allows God who is near to come into their lives. Now, as Paul says this, what is he meaning? Well, he means that God is interested in all parts of their lives. There is nothing that can't be prayed about, nothing that God is excluded from. In fact, if there are parts of our lives that God can't enter into then, then we're not submitting all to him and not being true disciples of Jesus. But it's also a statement that allows for their dependence upon God. If we follow this teaching, it means that we can be humble enough to acknowledge that God is needed within our lives. So what are the, what are the results then of this instructions of Paul to these people in this church? Well, look in verse 7 they will receive the peace of God which transcends all understanding and their hearts and minds will be protected by Jesus. In other words, if they are living lives that contain prayer, to such an extent that all their concerns have been made known to God, all the different compartments of their lives are open to God and they have the faith to rest in this, they will receive by the Holy Spirit calmness and not anxiety. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that God will necessarily give them every physical thing they ask for, every prayer to be answered in the way they wish, but by committing all their needs to God, they're giving all over to him who is able to keep them until Jesus returns again. What a wonderful situation for them and for us, if we're followers of Jesus. That's a tremendous promise, isn't it, to us tonight. If we give all to God in prayer, he promises that his Holy Spirit will give us calmness and uh, uh, freedom from anxiety. Now, of course, I'm sure that most of us would say that we haven't achieved this, and I certainly haven't. But I'm also sure that there are people here who can witness to God's calmness, coming in particular times of need. I certainly can. So let's commit all all parts of our lives to God in prayer. However, this doesn't answer the question that I asked at the the, uh, beginning. Why is it that so many people in Christian churches in England today don't go to prayer meetings? Why is it that so few people go to prayer meetings within church today? Well, I'm sure if I came round and asked each one of you the answer to this, we would get different answers and different responses. But I ask, is it because we fail to understand and value the power of prayer? The expectation that God will work when we pray? Well, I'd like to finish by reminding you of that quote I gave at the beginning, Charles Spurgeon. The powerhouse of that church wasn't his preaching, it wasn't how clever he was, or the organisation of the church. No, it was the 700 people praying before the service. What would happen in our services if all of us gathered for an hour before the service to pray for God's Holy Spirit to come with power and to work within the service, how many would come to faith? How many lives would be changed? How many people healed of their needs? It's just a thought. It's just a question. Because I haven't got that answer. I don't know why such a small proportion of our Christians in churches throughout our land, and I hear it from different churches uh, where I've been to, that very few people turn up to pray corporately. Well, we can be encouraged, though, can't we? We can be encouraged. Prayer, I've tried to show you tonight that a prayer is really, the Bible tells us so much about prayer. It's something that God wants us to do. It's something that God wants us to be involved in, individually and corporately together. It's a life experience that we can grow into until we finish our lives. It's a great experience. So let's be encouraged tonight. Let's join together in prayer, both individually and corporately. We know that this week we've got the prayer focus again. And I pray that many will turn up. I'd ask you to pray this week on Wednesday night for the, the, the small group. There's four of us who are meeting again to try to complete the parish profile. So we won't be at the, uh, I'm afraid, at the prayer meeting because that's the only night we could all meet on. But we pray that you would pray for us that uh, that final push for the profile will be finished this week. So let's be encouraged. Paul encourages his friends and fellow believers at Philippi. Let's be encouraged that we can have this great gift given to us by God, the power of prayer. Amen.